<laughs> Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone and welcome to the third season of Parent Talk, everything parenting and more. We are broadcasting out of the greater Vancouver area. I'm your host, Genevieve Carl, mom of two. I'm also the host of Les Parents Parlent, which is Parent Talk's French edition. I'm with my co-host, Heather Fox. Hi, Heather. Hi, everyone. Yes, Heather Fox here, co-host of Parent Talk, and I am also a mom of two. And today we have with us Louise Clark, and we will be talking about how to manage difficult teenagers. Hi, Louise. Welcome back to Parent Talk Podcast. Hi, Genevieve, and hi, Heather. It's so lovely to be back. I really enjoy my time spending spent chatting with you guys. Absolutely. It's so nice to have you. I have to say, Louise is a certified parent coach, a mindfulness coach, and a podcast host. Her podcast is Parenting in the Thick of It. She is an author of the ebook Parenting the Modern Teen. So I have even a friend that purchased your book, and I'm really looking forward to hear. I hear that you sold quite a few copies too, right? I have, yes. I'm selling them all the time and helping moms everywhere, all over the world. It's fantastic to see them um, enjoy the book and get a lot out of it. Yeah. How come you decided to write that book? Well, I have three teenagers now. My, my kids are, I have a 15-year-old boy, a 17-year-old girl, and a 19-year-old boy. And, you know, the teenage years, I love them. I, they really, this whole time in their lives, I really, really enjoy. And I know that many parents don't enjoy the teen years, so I really wanted to help parents who find it a struggle, who find their teenagers difficult. I wanted to help them find a way out of it and or find a way to stay sane in the thick of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So my first question for you today is, um, what do we need to understand developmentally about our teen? I think it's a good way to start today. Absolutely. I think it's really important. And it was actually this one of the this that was one of the most important things for me in aiding my understanding of where my teens were at and why they might have behaved the way they did. And I know you've got uh, kids that are younger, but surprisingly enough, the brain of a toddler and the brain of a teenager is very, very similar. And this work is based on D Dr. Dan Siegel's work, and he's done a lot of um, research into this. And, you know, in a, in a nutshell, what's happening in the, well, the toddlers, as we know, they're brains don't start their prefrontal cortex doesn't start developing until somewhere between the ages of five and seven years old so throughout the toddler years their their brains are being wired um, into early adolescence where a, a process known as um, it, it becomes com completely taken apart the whole wiring system becomes is re rewired undone And wired again so it's the whole integration process is um, halted taken apart and reconstructed it's known as pruning and you know during this time they are you know their behaviors can be irrational impulsive they're thrill seekers they're highly social at this time 
they can be very moody, they can be reactive and everything in between. So understanding that their brains are, are undergoing a complete rewiring and remodeling is very important for us as mums because we can then see that a lot of the behaviors they exhibit, they're not actually meaning to be like that. They don't intend to be impulsive, reactive, and so social. They, their brains are not wired um, to allow them to be otherwise almost. And it's not until the ages of somewhere between 22 and 25 that that prefrontal cortex becomes kind of laid down and wired. And if I say solidified, I don't mean it that way because the, um, the brain is neuroplastic, as we now know. But a lot of that wiring isn't fully integrated until they're much, much older. So if we can understand that, it can help with our expectations that we have of them. And it allows us to be a bit more compassionate and empathetic that half the time when they're behaving like they are, they actually can't help it. Their brains are not able to do it any other way. Mm-hmm. So what are the main struggles parents are facing with their teens? So what comes back to you all the time? I think the biggest ones are uh, teenagers not listening, teenagers not being engaged with uh, the family or being part of the team, so to speak, uh, trying to get them to do chores, for example, can be difficult. Trying to get them off their phones and devices and out of their bedrooms and off the games is really, really hard for parents today. Um, the fact that sometimes they're 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 very moody. Their their emotions are like a roller coaster. Really, the highs are high and the lows are low, and they just undulate and swing between the two. So it's very hard to to read them sometimes. And, you know, on the flip side of that, when they are angry or they are frustrated, you know, it's they're they're very, very emotional and they really kind of, quote unquote, take it out on us. But, you know, they're not actually taking it out on us. It's just that they're not actually coping. And I know on one of the previous podcasts that we spoke on, I talked about behavior being like an iceberg. This mm-hmm. is an important thing for parents listening to remember that what you're seeing in your teen's behavior is a fraction of what's going on beneath the surface and so to always remember that that some of the disrespect we see them not listening ignoring us not wanting to do chores not wanting to be involved not wanting to do things with their parents it's you know it's a very normal part of being a teen dare I say it's almost like their rite of passage we can probably all remember doing some of those things when we were younger Yeah, exactly. So is there anything or any strategies that we should be avoiding with our teens? I think anything that encourages argument and conflict should be avoided. And I I say that uh, kind of lightly, but it really is probably one of the key things in managing uh, difficult behaviors in your team is to not take the behavior personally and not react to it. Because once we do that, we dial into the drama, we jump right into the argument with them, we become reactive, we become defensive, we go into our fight, flight or freeze mode of operation, we meet them in their fight, flight or freeze and it goes absolutely nowhere. And it's during those moments when we are reactive, we've been triggered by the behavior. They haven't listened or they've been a bit rude or they've said something mean. They've accused us of something we haven't done and we just react and jump down their throats. And then it's in those moments of reactivity that we are most likely to 
um, say things we don't mean and dish out uh, quote-unquote consequences that are actually more akin to punishments. And we, we get dialed into it in such a way that the only way out of it is for us, because we're so down, we've taken it so personally, we found them so rude, how dare they speak to me like that and be so whatever, that we then resort to negative forms of discipline like punishments, grounding, threatening, and all the rest of that motley crew. And it really doesn't work with teenagers. Why it doesn't work with teenagers? Because they, as they're getting older, they start to question us and what they've done, what we've done to them, why we've done it to them, because it doesn't seem fair to them. So, for example, say your um, your teenager says he's going to be home, says she's going to be home at 10.30, and you don't hear from them, and now it's 11.30, and you are worried, of course, and they are not picking up their phone and now you're really, really worried. We wind the clock forward, they either come in, they're very late or somehow we find them and now we've got to face them. And we come, we, we say things like, that's it, you are not going to another party for a month and we're taking your phone away from you. And they're going to look at you and go almost in their minds, it's like, what's my phone got to do with this? Why are you taking this away from me? You know I really need my phone. And then they get really upset with you. They get mad with you. They get angry with you. So again, when we become reactive and we resort to uh, uh, illogical consequences, it's very, very hard for them to understand. They feel like we're just at them, against them, trying to make their life miserable. Um, and they can't understand our perspective. And we've lost almost lost sight of theirs in the argument. And so when we are caught in situations like that with our teens, you know, it's the same with toddlers, is never react in the heat of the moment. So when your teenagers come back later and you've been worried, they're not really going to care that you've been worried at this stage in the evening. And they're, they're, they're not probably not going to apologize at this stage in the evening. They're feeling, they're probably inside feeling bad that they have come home late and that you are mad. But in the moment, it's not a good idea to broach it. You know, I would always suggest, you know, wait until the storm has passed. So in other words, say, you know what, we're not going to discuss this tonight. Let's go to bed and we'll discuss it in the morning. And then when you do have a discussion with them, is you, you try and get on their page and try and help them understand that what they've done caused you unnecessary angst that they hadn't listened to what the instructions were and ask them, what do you think should happen here? I always put it out to my kids when when something's gone awry. Say, you know, what do you think should happen here? Rather than me saying, this is what's going to happen. Now, I could end up putting my, this is what's going to happen into place. But if I've actually allowed them to, to uh, feel understood, feel seen, feel heard, then they at least feel like we're have I'm not always against them. They might say, well, I think uh, I shouldn't be allowed to go out this weekend. And I might say, yeah, you know, that's fair enough. Let's, we'll, we'll stick to that. So you were late coming home this Saturday night. And they might say, well, we won't go out next, next weekend. And I'll say, yeah, that sounds good. It's done. It's logical. There's a logical consequence. 
I've not said you're grounded because I think grounding is a very, very, it's thin ice because how long do you ground a teenager for if they were late once? If they were half an hour late or an hour late, do they get grounded longer based on the, the crime, quote unquote? And, and then when they're grounded, how do you know you're ready, you're ready to lift the grounding? So I don't even mention the word grounding. And, but that's a logical consequence. They were late home from this party tonight, so they've chosen they're not going to go to the party next weekend. They might say, or I might even say, you know what, you can go to the party next weekend. I, I think that's fair enough, but you have to come home a bit earlier. What would you like to do? Would you like to come home at 10 next weekend or, or just not go to the party? And it, there's at least then some logic in it. Mm, I totally, I really like this. And mm-hmm. I'm sure people can relate to, to this specific example and you can apply it to so many different things. Like it can be like being impolite, late, like you said, or not helpful in the house, or uh, I guess you just wait. And when the door opens and there's a, you can feel then this is the time to reach out and to have the conversation, then yeah. you sit down and you do have the conversation. But what do you do? if your, your kids, if your teens don't actually want to sit down with you? Well, that's difficult. You know, if they're not prepared to sit down with you and you've really lost the connection with them, then you, I believe if, if you can't have a conversation with your teen, you have to first repair that relationship. And it might be that you've got something pending, as in, a, you know, they came home late or something's happened and you said you're going to discuss it and they're not up for discussion then you have to be able to be in a position where you can communicate. Because at that stage, if you say, well, if you're not prepared to speak, here's what's going to happen. I mean, you could do that. But again, the tone and the energy that you bring to that, you, know, you could say to them in that situation, I know you're not prepared to discuss this, but we have to discuss it. If you're not going to um, uh, respond to me, then it's going to be me that's calling all the shots. Whereas if you're prepared to speak to me, we can discuss it we can come to an agreement that you might, um, you, you can have some input into. If you're not going to have any input into, then it's up to me. And you might not like what I'm going to say, but if you're not going to speak, how are we going to get to a, a satisfactory kind of outcome? And, you know, in that case, maybe you, you could say, you know, given you're not prepared to uh, respond and chat, this is what's going to happen. I wish you would communicate with me, but I can't make you communicate with me. But You know, you came home late last night, so you have to know what's going to happen. You know, if X, then Y, the consequence, the relationship between cause and effect. But the problem is when we come down too hard and we perhaps punish them or ground them or threaten them, then they become um, resentful of us. And they, you know, that kind of behavior in us will force them to manipulate the truth, to become manipulative, to perhaps lie because what kid wants to tell the truth if they know they're going to be punished through telling the truth, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to be very careful with how we interact with teenagers. They're very fragile. You know, we're on thin ice a lot of the time with them. We don't know how they're going to res- respond and react. And they are very um, emotional and uh, hormonal. The hormones, of course, come into it. And they, they find it very hard to self-regulate. They find it hard to control themselves. And they are very concerned with themselves at this age. They're thinking of me, myself, and I. They're not thinking about the other people in the house. They're not thinking of the consequences of their actions on other people. So they can be quite difficult to live with at times. I have three. 
trust me, I know it. But we have to be very careful about how we engage with them, how we take them on. And so often we take them on in from the wrong mindset, from the wrong headspace, from we're taking them on from defense. Rather, you know, we end up working against them rather than trying to work with them. And, you know, when you're working against a toddler is one thing, but when you start working against a teen, they're older, they're bigger. They walk out. They're just not prepared to listen to you. They're, they're done. Whereas the, to- the toddler might, their, their reaction is not going to be quite as extreme as a teenage reaction can be. Mm-hmm. What do we do with phone? How do we handle screen time, social media, all this? <laughs> oh my goodness. How long have we got, you guys? <laughs> yeah, that's a whole new And I know, I know we did a podcast about this in the past, but I think if we're struggling with our teens, I think we kind of have to talk a little bit about this again because I'm hearing a lot of the struggles around phone. When do you give a phone? After that, I have some parents that regretted giving a phone because now they felt they lost some control. You know, there's so many different oh. things that came to me, but I, I have to ask the, <laughs> the question again. Yeah, it can't, be, it can't be ignored. You know, I'd say it is the biggest challenge that parents face in their lives with teenagers, undoubtedly. And you know, we're recording this during COVID, and that has complicated things big time. It's added a huge, huge, it's, it's uh, squared the problem. It's, it's, you know, quadrupled the problem, 10 times the problem. If there were problems with managing devices pre-COVID, there's problems, bigger, huge problems now. And, you know, to take the phones away from our teenagers is not the answer. I truly don't believe it is. And when we become reactive, we know just how important their phones are to them. So it's tempting to want to take away the most important thing in their lives. It is not a good idea. Now, I'm not saying that it's all loosey-goosey and they can have their phones for as long as they want, whenever they want, and, um, and be watching whatever they want. There has to be boundaries. There has to be limits. And we have to be able to deal with the pushback. And there will be pushback. And we cannot forget the fact that these, whatever they're doing on their phones is highly addictive. It's giving them the thrill. It's giving them the dopamine. It's doing, it's, it's satisfying all those criteria for them. And it is their, their lifeline for everything in the world. You know, it's their lifeline for homework, their lifeline for friends, their lifeline for entertainment, their lifeline for um, schoolwork, their lifeline for everything. And we have to help them find ways to put limits on it. And, you know, there is a movement now that's you may have heard, it's wait until grade eight, wait until eight. And there's actually quite a few parents now coming to the understanding that to wait until they're in grade eight before they get a phone. But I don't want that to be the center of this, this conversation. But they've got their phones. We have to be good at holding the limits on them and during covid for sure they need more time than usual because they're they're socially isolated just at the time when remember at the beginning of the the this uh, we discussed about the brain science mm-hmm. they're wired for social engagement they're wired to be for thrills for impulsivity so those three things are being taken away from them right now So they really do need the social interaction. So they need a bit more time on it than usual. 
it's very, very hard to control what a, a teenager is doing on their phone. And the more we try and control them, the more they're going to push, push back because they want to be independent. They want to be in control of their own lives. So again, I've, I've mentioned this before, we have to collaborate with them as to what the limits are going to be. We have to have a conversation with them and say, you know, what do you need your phone for? Okay, you need it for homework, right. What else do you need it for? Well, I want to play Fortnite on it. Okay, so you've got your Fortnite. I need my social media. I need my Snapchat. And try and help them at least see what platforms they're spending most time on and how much time is enough on each of those for them and the age and stage that they're at. There's no blanket rule for this um, because each child is different. Each child is unique. The, the family situation is unique. The parents are unique. So to try and say, well, a 14-year-old needs to be on the phone for this amount of time and a 15-year-old can increase to this, but to take it away from that. And a 16-year-old, no, I think you have to look at your teenager and help them understand how much time do they need and how much time is enough and how much time is too much. That's what we want them to learn before they leave the home. So that when they leave home and they're at university and they're in their halls of residence, they're not sitting up all night playing video games or on Snapchat or social media channels. We want to know that they've developed the life skills they need to delay gratification, to tolerate frustration and know that I can put my phone down, I'll get it in the morning. That's really what we want. So, you know, we have to try and instill in them the life skills that will equip them to be good with the limits and good with the boundaries when they're on their own. Um, it's a beast to navigate. You know, I'm, I'm struggling with my teenagers now on their phones because they're on them more because they're with their friends less. They're on them more because all their homework's now online. They're on them more because there's, they can't go outside. They can't go and play their sport. They can't go and do what they wanted to do. So what can they do? And yes, they'll play the old board game. And yes, they might play cards with you. They might draw, but... A 17-year-old boy is not going to go and pick up the crayons and the felt-tip pens and draw a painting, for, uh, draw a drawing for you, unless they love art. So you know it's <laughs> it's a it's a really difficult thing to navigate. And parents of young kids just you know they say, well, there's other things they can do. This they can do that. Teenagers get to a point where they don't want to draw a picture. They don't want to play a game of cards. They don't want to go out and help you plant the garden. So it's very, very hard to get them off their devices. But again, we have to collaborate with them. We have to help them see what they need should be doing, quote unquote, and how are we going to get this? And phones in their bedrooms at night is another huge one. It's it's a huge debate. I, I say keep their phones out of their room. Even if you've extended the curfews now, perhaps during COVID, and you know, maybe the phones came out of their room at 10 and now they're pushing for 11. I'd be saying, yep, okay, 11 o'clock. Because they, they're very, the teen biorhythms switch as well. You know, they don't, they're not good first thing in the morning. They're, they're night owls. So trying to make them get up at 7.30, 8 o'clock and making them go to bed at 10 o'clock is very, very difficult. Their whole rhythm switch swings. And I know there's certain school districts that actually now in high schools are changing the start of the day to actually be more in, in alignment with a teen's changing natural biorhythms. So we have to be consistent. We have to be fair. We have to get their input. We have to embody their experience to help them feel that we see them, we hear them, 
we get them, we understand. However, we are the parent. We are the captain of the ship. We have to lead, guide, influence and support them on that journey. And we have to be at the helm. They need some routine. They need some structure, despite them saying otherwise. Mm-hmm. So what is the best way to encourage our teen to open up? Good question, Heather. Um, <laughs> you know, t- teenagers are, are they're interesting people. They're interesting young adults. And, you know, forcing them to do anything does not work. The more you force, the more they push back. So, you know, saying to them, hey, it'd be really good to have a, have a chat right now. Let's have a chat about something. They're going to look at you as a say, a hello. You know, they're so spontaneous that we have to watch for the opportunities where they are open to chat. And they are very chatty generally, but it's on their terms when they feel like being chatty. We can't force the chattiness. And the chattiness is usually at times that are the least, uh, 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 what's the word, suitable, appropriate, the least <laughs> right for us. You know, my teenagers are always chatty late at night. You know, I go to bed quite early and they often drift into the bedroom and they sit down and they have a chat. And I'm literally, I've got matchsticks trying to keep my eyes open. But if they are chatty <laughs> and I'm wanting to go to sleep, I will not go to sleep. I will do everything in my power to stay awake and chat to them when they're open because that's when they want to chat I've diverted calls before when they've come in and they've wanted to chat about something and I'm kind of aware of the clock going oh my god I said I phoned this person it's two o'clock I said I phoned a quarter to two but my child's been chatting the teenager is now chatty I'll do anything to preserve the chattiness because you don't know when it's going to happen again so I will say never ever dismiss the opportunity to converse with your teenager if they are feeling like it don't miss that opportunity don't say you know what let's chat about this later if there's any way you can drop everything because they're chatty drop everything and chat with them have the conversation because it doesn't come around at the most appropriate times usually but you want it to come around and they need they need us to 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 chat too so if they're open drop everything to be open and, and receptive to them if they're wanting to chat with us. I totally agree with you. And I remember myself mm. as a teen, when I needed to reach out to my parents, it was always at the wrong moment, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and my parents would stop to talk and sometimes it wasn't possible. But, you know, if you're actually looking for the opportunity and you're okay with the fact it's probably not going to come at the right moment, then when it comes, you're right away more receptible of like, okay, this is the door has opened. You know what I mean? So just take it. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. If the door is open, keep it open. Do everything you can to keep it open. You know, they might be, they're, all, they're actually often more chatty if they don't have to sit down like at a dinner table. Like they'll be chatty at the yeah. dinner table, but if they're face to face with you, they can feel quite threatened if it's eye to eye, a deep and meaningful kind of thing. Versus, you know, if you're lying on the sofa and they're lying on another uh, chair or they're, you're in the car and they're not having to look at you or you're walking somewhere, they can yeah. get quite chatty when they're not under pressure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being open being and being um, curious and seeing those opportunities within them. 
And also, here's the other thing, is recognize when they're not open to you. You might be wanting to chat to them, but they're not open. If they're not open, whatever you say will fall on deaf ears. You won't get the conversation you want. You've expected it because you're ready and they'll pick up on your energy and you'll end up fighting more often than not. So, you know, be very aware of when you want to open a conversation and noticing, are they receptive to this? If not, it would truly be better to wait. Now, there's times where it can't wait and you have to go, you know what? You might not want to chat about this, but we have to talk now. This is really serious. And then they usually go, okay, what is it? What have I done? Who phoned you? What have you found out? (laughs) Yeah. So it makes me think too. So what do you do if your teens don't even... Uh, don't even uh, want to get out of their room. They want to stay in their room and you want to talk or they don't want to get out, like barely coming out for dinner, lunch, you know, you don't see them. Mm -hmm. And during lockdown, where we are right now, this is a huge challenge for many parents. The teenagers right now are grieving. They're grieving the loss of life as they knew it. They are missing their friends, the social interaction, the opportunity to prove their independence, to be in control of themselves, to have choice. You know, just as they're trying to shed us of custodians, now they're on lockdown and now we're all under the same roof and they can't, you know, their brains are saying do X, but but the world's saying you can't do X, you have to do Y. So they're very, very... um, They're, they're very fearful, they're very worried, they're feeling at a loose end, uh, and as a result of which they're often going into their rooms. So if your child is in their room for longer periods of time, then you you see, um, what's the word? I don't, I don't want to say reasonable, but uh, that you can understand. If it doesn't seem right, then you need to go into the room. So rather than saying, come out your room, come, come and play a game, Go into their room and join them. Take a cup of tea in. Take a hot chocolate for them. Knock on the door and maybe say, hey, you fancy a hot chocolate? I've just made you one. And they might go, nah, I'm on a game with a friend. And then at that point, you have to go, okay, maybe in maybe in half an hour. And they might go, they might put their thumb up and go, yeah. But maybe they'll say, oh, that'd be nice. So put the hot chocolate down, but have your cup of tea or hot chocolate with you. And just stand at the door, have a little sip, have a chat. And if they're open, go and sit on the bed, have a chat with them, go in and meet them where they're at. And again, you know, not a hundred questions. You know, don't, don't throw so many questions at them that they feel like they're on the spot. Just, you know, maybe open, say, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty lonely right now with this lockdown. How are you doing? What are you, who are you chatting to? And just try and engage them in a, in, in, in their world not our world, embody their experience. Go in and ask them what they were doing. Oh, what game were you playing? Who were you playing with? Do you keep a score in that? What, how's your score? Or, you know, if your daughter's there and they're on their social media, say, hey, you know, oh, how's, how's Jessica? Oh, she's really upset, mom. Her mom made her do this. You go, really? That must be tough for her. So you, again, you're getting into their world. So if they don't come out, we need to go in. And it might even mean you have to take a snack in and have a snack there with them. And, you know, to try and say to them, you know, it's the, the point you want to put across to them is it's not healthy to be sitting in a room all day long, especially if it's dark. Um, they need more than that. They do need the company. They're not going to admit to needing your company, 
but we know they need it. They're, they're, they're too isolated where they are. They're not getting fresh air. They're not eating healthily. You might see them on a trip to the larder to get more chocolate chips or Coke. Um, and you're worried about them. So you, you have to try and help them see that this living like this is not healthy and it's not you against them. It's you're actually trying to help them because it's not going to make them feel good if they spend too long on their own. Mm-hmm. So it's this balance. You know, it's like we're on thin ice. We really have to balance it. Uh, as to because you can't go in and say you've got to come out your room you can try but if they say I'm not coming out their room what are you going to do put them on your shoulder and say well you're coming I'm going to get dad to pick you up and put you at the dining table and they're six foot one <laughs> right so you can't do it you know if a toddler is saying no I'm not coming you can pick them up and put them in the high chair you try and do yeah. that with a teenager it's not happening so the more you try and put them in a high chair, the more they're <laughs> going to chain themselves to their bed. So we have to get onto their page and we have to help them that we're, see that we're actually with them. We're not against them, but we're, I'm worried about you, sweetheart. You've been in your room for days and you're not eating well and it's not good for you. Please come. Let's just come and have, come and have dinner at the table with us. You, you mm. don't have to stay long. Come and just eat your dinner, 10, 15 minutes, and then go back to your room. It's okay. Right? Versus saying, okay, you're going to get out your room, and you're going to come and have dinner, and you're going to have a conversation with the family because we haven't seen you for three days. And they're going to be looking at you going, yeah, luckily I'm going to come and face you when you're like that. Yeah. So what I'm hearing, and maybe a lot of other people that are listening or hearing as well, is uh, we have to keep connect with them, validate their feeling, be compassionate because they are developmentally where they are and we have to recognize this as adult and to just keep that strong connection and to take the time to always reconnect, specifically if there's a conflict, maybe connect first and then... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Louise. I'm sure this is going to help a lot of parents. I I don't have teenagers myself, but sometimes I feel like if I do, <laughs> because you're talking, it's not that far from having your kids are going to grow up, and you're going to be like, oh my god, she's talking about that on this podcast. And you know, parent, parents listening might think I'm sounding a bit permissive here, as in giving into all this behavior. I'm absolutely not. Absolutely not. I've you hold your limits. You can you can deal with the pushback. It's how we do it. It's how we respond. Because when we're reactive and triggered by them, it goes nowhere. It only disconnects us from them. And when we're disconnected, we lose our capacity to influence, guide, and support them. So I'm not saying, sure, let them get away with being in their room all the time. I'm saying, how can we find a way to help them out rather than forcing them out? And, you know, there's times where, no, they're, they're not going to get away with certain things. But if we react to them, they're more likely to get away with it because we just dial ourselves into the drama and then we lose actually all capacity to connect with them. And if we're disconnected, we can't influence them at all. So it's a, it's a fine balance. Mm-hmm. Connection. Mm-hmm. Yes. The attachment. Yes. Well, Louise, we can find you on our panel of expert at parenttalk.ca. Where else can we find you? Uh, my website, uh, I'm the founder of Your Parenting Partner. So yourparentingpartner.com 
has got everything you need to know about me. You can find me there, read all about me, access my podcast, Parenting in the Thick of It, access my book, Parenting the Modern Teen, and also the Parenting in the Thick of It Family Organizer, which is great for parents of of, um, younger kids in particular. Um, So everything there on my blogs, you can access it all there. You can request a conversation with me if you're really struggling, work one-on-one with me. Um, you can find it all there at yourparentingpartner.com. And I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. Again, all linked in to the website. And where can we find your book? My book, you can find through yourparentingpartner.com. You can Google Parenting the Modern Teen and it will take you to the purchase page. But you can find the purchase page on my website as well. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you uh you Louise and Heather for taking the time to be here and helping us be the best parents we can be if you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert please visit the contact us section on our website at parenttalk.ca follow us on Instagram and Facebook also we are on social.mom don't hesitate to download this free app and come and join Heather and I you can always subscribe directly to this podcast on our website at parenttalk.ca if you enjoyed this episode we're inviting you to share it on your social media as we all know parenting can be hard we're talking about teenagers here (laughs) (laughs) it's important to laugh laugh with them keep learning we're learning with them so cherish your village and be true to yourself parent talk is a safe space for everyone thank you everyone for listening and have a great week bye Avertissement, le contenu diffusé dans cet épisode ne sert qu'à des fins d'information et ne remplace pas l'opinion d'un professionnel de la santé. Les propos et opinions tenues par l'hôtesse et ses invités ne peuvent pas engager la responsabilité de Parent Talk Inc. Merci et à la prochaine!